What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we have learned where the Buffalo Sabres will be picking with their first two picks in the 2022 NHL draft, as they unfortunately did not win the draft lottery. We now know that the Sabres will be picking at nine with their own pick and stayed pat at 16 with Vegas's pick as well. It remains to be seen where they will be picking with their third pick as we're recording this ahead of the Washington Florida game tonight, which is tied at two in that series, but no major shocks here. They, you know, very low odds for the Sabres to move up and to be able to get one of those lottery picks. Unsurprisingly, somehow now New Jersey has become the new Edmonton and just, it feels like they win the lottery every couple of years. Um, so they are going to be picking second behind Montreal, who is going to presumably be taking Shane Wright first overall. But with that being said, there's going to be some good guys on the board, both at nine and 16 for the Sabres. So just, out of curiosity, I know you're not a big prospects guy, Taylor, but any thoughts on the draft lottery and the Sabres uh, staying put with the two spots? Let's get Connor Bedard. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I, uh, I don't really. I, if I look into the draft at all, it's usually like right before the draft, which is still two months away. Uh, yeah, just a reminder to everyone, draft later this year because the season's later, July 7th and 8th. So we got about two months before then. Um, but yeah. No, I have not at all, but I, I am still pretty into the idea of uh, potentially if, if it pops up packaging two of the three picks, but also wait for the right thing. You don't need to force it. It's cool yeah. to have three. Uh, I mean, I assume whoever they take ninth could be in the NHL by 23, 24. And then the guys after that would be aiming for after that, which so we've talked about before with guys like Kevin at uh, Knight Rider to be like, continually um restocking the cupboard is a good thing so that's 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 a good thing but who more specifically are you looking at and wait before before i say this can we talk about some other teams in the lottery yeah go ahead all right so i want you to tell me out of these three things what is the funniest four things sorry the obvious one is vegas uh it's not that funny lottery perspective because there was basically no chance they were going to move up it was like a a tenth of a percent chance they could jump 10 spots to six and then we wouldn't get their pick until next year. But still, how funny is it? No first round pick. Hilarious. And you missed the playoffs. That's always funny, but it's even funnier because like nobody thought it was going to happen. And you made this huge midseason trade. So funny for all the reasons we've already talked about. Very hilarious. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I had to be reminded that who else doesn't have their first round pick? The Chicago, Chicago. Blackhawks oh, who yeah. are picking sixth who I never thought at any point would be anywhere outside of the top 10, uh, basically since middle of October or even before that, to be honest, mm-hmm. they not only do they not have the pick, they don't have it because they traded it for Seth Jones and they were Gave just as bad contract. Yep. Just as bad as they were last year. Another one. Here's a fun one. Uh, the flyers late in the season beat Pittsburgh in a kind of like feel good, even though your season's over, we beat our rival and we're going to make sure they, they don't get home uh, ice advantage in the first round. And that win costs them the second overall pick because they would have been a New Jersey spot. Had they not won that mm. game. Mm-mm-mm. Tough. And lastly, for the second time in seven years, the Arizona coyotes pretty clearly tanked. They seven years ago, they did it during the season. They decided, Hey, we're bad. Let's get even worse. And they almost succeeded in getting 
Jack Eichel, but they not quite two points away. This year, they just walked into the season being like, I don't care who's on this team. They sent Carter Hutton to be their starting goalie. And then he was actually too bad to be their starting goalie. They couldn't, they couldn't really like even justify that. They had to be like, well, we at least have to put Anton Vegmelka out there. <laughs> and we're trying get some Scott Wedgwood action. Very clearly not trying to win coming into the season. Terrible bare bones roster. Aside from like a week and a half in the middle of the season when they scored eight goals a game, uh, they were one of the worst teams I've ever seen. But they just finished out on finishing last again. Let Montreal pass them going backwards. And who gets the first pick? Montreal. Who's picking third for the second time in a season where they had fewer than 55 points? Arizona. I will say, at least in Arizona's favor, and of course, you know, you never know who's going to end up being Dylan Strom, but they're going to end up walking away with a really, really good player between Slefkovsky and if he ends up going second, which a lot of people are presuming he's going to do, uh, or he'll go to New Jersey second, they get Logan Cooley, who is like the best center in the uh, U.S. development program right now, so not a bad consolation prize. It's not, I, I don't think it's necessarily as bad as like the Eichelstrom fall off, but it sucks for them. I mean, they cannot catch a break at all. No. And, but I would say to like the Sabres transformation over seven years, they also have learned their lessons and they, they, I don't know if they really have much of a farm system to speak of at the moment, but they do have more picks in the first three rounds over the next couple of years than I've ever seen an NHL team have. They have a, an embarrassment of riches in the first round. So they will be, they'll be more than set. I mean, they, the trades they made this past off season, when I say they tanked, I'm not real. I'm not criticizing. No stink on that. Like it is what it is. They came into the season, not even caring at all, but they did it for good reason. They didn't do the Sabres got some good picks when they, they tore down a couple years ago. And again, they did this time, but what, what I, Arizona has coming down the pike, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, it's, unbelievable uh it, they basically traded i don't know if phil kessel has value but they basically traded everyone else uh who wasn't nailed down like they made that trade obviously with vancouver that was the ekman larson for all of vancouver's bad contracts that are expiring so uh so they i believe they have uh a canadians first round pick that won't be getting this year because the canadians are too bad but they will be getting it uh, I believe next year. And then a 2024 second, they have Colorado's first round pick this year and a 2024 third. They have their own this year, which is third overall. They have also this year, they have Philly second, uh, New York second, New York Islanders. That is San Jose second, their own second, their third. And then they have their own fifth and sixth. And then 2023, they have one, two, three extra thirds and an extra fourth an extra seventh. And then 2024, they have an extra second from Florida, an extra third from Colorado, an extra fourth from San Jose, an extra seventh from Boston. Let me put this out there. If I'm Arizona, I'm thrilled that Montreal was as bad as they were this year because you are going to probably be getting not, I would say, as bad of a team coming back, but like Montreal's not great. And next year, they're going to be bad again. Yeah. Next year is Bedard and Mishkov. So. If Arizona's Ooh, not point. planning to be good, 
and Montreal is going to be bad. And you're looking at the potential of having come draft lottery night, two picks in the top 10 that could end up being a lottery. If if one of them doesn't finish last again, Uh, that's, that's pretty wild. Like if the cards fall the same way that they did this year or whatever, and in Arizona gets a little bit of luck. I mean, it's obviously a long shot, but like, what if they end up getting one and two next year and they get Bedard and Mishkov? Like, wow. I hadn't even considered that. That's a legitimate possibility. It very much is. Yeah. Cause it's totally unprotected next year for Montreal. Right. Yep. Oh man. I, you gotta, I mean, hindsight's 2020. I got to say Montreal. I looked at him this year and I said, you are a Christian Dvorak away from being a Stanley cup contender. Again, you are a Christian Dvorak away from being the worst team in the NHL. <laughs> Yikes. That's, that's wild though. Yeah. Arizona really does have a billion picks. It doesn't guarantee you anything, but I, I always wonder with that many picks like Oklahoma city's in this situation now, but I think hockey's fundamentally different in this, this depth being worth something. And I think you can see the limits to having two of the best forwards in the world, two of what the five best forwards in the world in Edmonton right now, they might lose anyway. So I wonder in such a trade that you brought up, let's say you have, you have Bedard first overall, it's let's say you're Arizona, right? Or no, no, let's say you, you're a different GM. Okay. You have the second overall pick. You can take Mishkov. Okay. Or Arizona says you can have their pick, which is like fifth. And you could have the other, what other first round pick they have. I just read it, but I already forgot it. Colorado? And isn't that this year though? Are they, oh, for next year, you mean? Yeah. No, never mind. Uh, yeah. Okay. They have, on, they're bro. taking Bedard. Okay. So you, you can have their fifth and you can have, all four of their seconds and you can have their first next year to move from two to five. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That is tough because two of their seconds, I believe are San Jose and the Islanders. So those should be the top half. Yeah. Those are actually going to be pretty good ones. The problem is with answering that accurately now is that outside of those two and a couple of other names, I don't know a ton about 2023, but I have to imagine that the fall off from what Mishkov is going to be to whatever is going to be there at five is probably going to be pretty steep. So, I mean, I would think long and hard about it, but you're probably talking about, to move up to get Mishkov, I definitely need their fir- their fir- their first the following year, and then ugh, maybe even something else too. I mean, we're talking about like, I, I mean, think about it. It's like it's like a Jack Eichel type of situation, you know. Like you know what you're going to be getting at to a guy who in any other draft year, if there's not a generational player named Connor ahead of him, they are going to get taken first overall. I mean. That's the way I would be looking at it. So if you're trying to move up to two in a draft like that, I would have the mentality of being like, no, you're thinking of this as trying to trade up for first because this guy is top notch. I don't even know if I'd do it. I honestly think I would probably just say no and take Mishkov and call it a day. They're going to have so much depth from. Oh God. Yeah. I, I mean, Arizona, obviously it makes sense if they're picking fifth to try and move up to two to get there. And they would have the assets to do it, but like, I just, I don't know if I could bring myself to trading away a pick that is as close to being a sure fire, high end elite talent. Like 
you never know what you can get at five, you know, like it, it totally depends who falls in that range because, you know, in some instances you can get, um, a guy like well, who Marner went like fourth, but just generally speaking, you get Marner went fourth. fifth. He, did he go fifth? So you can either get like a Mitch yeah, Marner there or you can get like a Michael Del Cal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you just don't know. Whereas with Mishkov, it's like, you know what you are getting with this guy. And I do not think I would trade that pick. You would need to sell the farm. Like we're talking existing high-end prospect as it is. And then whatever the, the pick swap would be plus a first. Hmm. Yeah. That's what's interesting about this, I guess, is I guess what I'm getting at is when you have just like a billion picks, like a team like Arizona has, is there a certain point in hockey where it's like you take the billion guys over one sure guy? Well, and I think to that point, you know, I mean, they're going to have a, a zillion guys coming in the system if they take all these picks over the next couple of years, but rather than, moving up in like a lottery situation. I mean, what if you package one of the seconds in Colorado's pick this year to move up into the teens to get a guy who you really want or something like that? Or if you- Well, I'm talking about um, basically a different team trading with Arizona, a theoretical team. Like let's say like Winnipeg decides they want to start over and they are really bad next year. Say, I don't know, maybe they trade Hellebuck or whatever and they get the second overall pick and they have a- Oh, they don't have a new GM in this scenario because they actually just re-upped their GM for some reason. But let's say Kevin Sheveldayoff is like, how do I want to restart my franchise? Do I want Mishkov or do I want the fifth overall guy and a shitload of picks? Like, I think Mishkov. I, I really do from the perspective. I, I mean, because I of the fact that think about it, you said a couple of weeks ago, that one tweet where it's like every playoffs it's, it's Crosby, Malkin and Latang, And then like a bunch of random guys, like who just Mark Donk. Yeah. Mark Donk. <laughs> yeah. The Mark Donk tweet. It's a great you know, tweet. Whoever the, tweeted that. Right. So that's where it is to me. It's like, if you, if I would yeah. have one foundational elite high end piece or a bunch of good pieces i'm probably going to take that one guy that's going to be able to lead me and bring me over the top rather than going for like depth when it's somebody who's as good as meshkov is yeah i think the people would push back and say eichel and buffalo or like i said mcdavid and drysdale who still have only one playoff series win and they may or may not win this year not looking like it but i could say this Someone being a GM has to be confident that they're better at being a GM than Peter Chiarelli or Tim Murray or Jason Bottrell. So you would look at the Pittsburgh example and look at the GMs they've had. I mean, Rutherford and um, Rutherford was really good. I guess. Yeah, I mean, they were all fine. All the GMs they've had have been good. But you look at like a superstar situation like Washington as well as another example. You just have to be able to make the other right moves constantly. Even like, you know, like Chicago, there's a while where Stan Bowman was a good GM and obviously Dale Talon, a lot of credit he deserves for that dynasty, but like Stan Bowman was a good GM and then he wasn't. And that's what kind of hurt Chicago among other things. But like, you don't, it's not really a death sentence to have one, just one guy and not a lot of depth to start. You just have to be good after that. I guess it's a little bit of the, I'm sure there's some anxiety about the singular savior in hockey. Um, but there's also like, 
I just I just wonder, well, like, at what point is it worth it to give up? Like, there's things that might never happen. Like, for example, instead of saying they offered the fifth in four seconds, what if they offered the fifth overall pick, their four seconds, and their entire draft the next year, where they still have a ton of picks in the second and third round? And then it's just like it's like it's a funny concept. It's like uh, like offering mm-hmm. an entire draft for Ricky Williams, <laughs> like <laughs> the Saints did in in '98, or like how the Cowboys traded Herschel Walker probably United States Senator this time next year. Um, and Yikes. they, they kickstarted their dynasty uh, doing that with a bunch of picks. I just think it's an interesting concept, but it's not happening. And who knows, maybe like you said, Arizona just gets the one and the two and they get say, we, we just get both guys anyway. And uh, you know, then they get started with a real, real nice dynasty in Houston. Exactly. Well, no, it'll be Arizona because Austin Matthews might be there then by that point, who knows? Yeah, maybe they'll finally get this. Uh, you know, they're going into the season playing in their five thousand seat college arena, and they don't actually have the deal for the next arena yet. Mm. <laughs> Gary, what are you doing? Let him leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, are they are they clamoring to keep the team out there? I don't know. No, I don't know. They're, yeah. I mean, no is my answer. Probably, <laughs> probably not clamoring to keep the team. Fair, fair. Anyway, um, so who are some guys I guess you think could be around at 9 and 16? In yeah, so maybe mid-20s, if you think of that far ahead. I have a little bit. So my initial reaction, like I had said, at 9 and 16, I feel extremely, extremely good about the guys that are going to be available for the Sabres there that are going to be able to fit needs. So for starters, at 9 and 16, I'm saying forward for both of those picks. And the reason being is because you have good defensemen in the first round here with two of them who are above the, the above the rest far and away. And that's Yurashek and Nemec. So both of those guys are right-handed shot defensemen. If they end up somehow falling to the Sabres at nine, I think that they have a real conversation to have there because probably some of these forwards who I'm going to be talking about are going to be gone by that point. And Beyond them, I mean, the next three guys down for the defensemen are all left-handed shots. So that's why I don't really think they come into play at 16. I think that there's so many left-shot defensemen already on the team. And I understand going best player available. I think that they absolutely should be doing that, which is why I think if either of those two right-shot defensemen are there at nine, you have to really strongly consider that. But when it comes to 16, if any of those left-shot guys are there, which I don't necessarily think that they will be for those three, which will also help the Sabres in turn and getting a good forward. And with that second first, um, I, I just think that that's kind of my, my general mentality is that I go forward with the first two picks, assuming that Nemec and Urasek are both gone, which I think they'll probably both be gone top six picks. I, I think they'll be off the board. So the Sabres aren't even going to have to worry about it. If one of those other defensemen ends up moving up and getting picked ahead of uh, the Sabres at nine, and you have three defensemen going in the top eight, that is a best case scenario for the Sabres. Because as I tweeted out yesterday from our account, it happens every single year where there is a guy or two that falls down the draft that you're like, how the hell are they getting picked at eight, nine, 10, whatever it may be. You want to look at it in recent history. I mean, Dylan Cousins was even considered to be one of those guys. Trevor Zegras, Cole Caulfield was taken at 16. Anton Lindell was taken at 11. And that's just in the past couple of years. Like it, it just, it, it happens every single year where there's one of those surprise picks. Um, you, you can even to a further extent with like Elias Pettersson, for example, getting picked at six, Quinn Hughes getting taken, I think at like eight, 
it happens constantly. And that ends up playing really well for these teams that are at the end of the top 10, like where the Sabres are right now. So in that scenario where say there's a, the, one of the third or fourth defensemen, they end up getting picked in the top eight. Um, say there's maybe a surprise forward to that goes in the top eight. There are two guys at the top of my list right now who I would love to fall to the Sabres. And that's Joaquin Kemmel, who's a winger out of Finland, and then Matthew Savoy, who is a center out of the WHL. So those two guys, I think, absolutely fit the bill for the Sabres in two very different ways. Obviously, you know, there's no such thing as having too many good centers. So that's why I like Savoy. He's smaller. He doesn't have the size. But at the same time, though, he plays with speed and tenacity. He's a good playmaker. I mean, that's really what the bread and butter of his game is. If he ends up falling, which would be unlikely, I would say at this point, I think that there's a chance that he goes maybe even in the picks right before us, whether it's to Columbus or Ottawa, for example. If he ends up falling to the Sabres, I think that that's a slam dunk pick. With Kemmel, he is a high-end offensive upside talent. He's a right winger and he has a lethal shot. This past season when he was playing in the Liga, the Finnish men's elite league, he was leading the league in points through the first month of the season. And then he ended up getting a shoulder injury, which then kept him out for a while. He came back. He wasn't necessarily the same player, but I'm willing to take a bet on the fact that the guy who was there, who was leading the Liga in points is the guy that you would be drafting if Kemmel ends up being on the board. Assuming those guys are off the table though, there's three guys who I think realistically will be there that would be great. And at the top of that list is Frank Nazar. He's another guy off of the U.S. National Development Program. He is a center. He plays with speed. He has high-end compete level and tenacity to his game, which is exactly what you like to see. As we've seen too, too many times with guys that the Sabres have picked around this general area, if you are like, it is a bad idea to pick a guy that maybe has a bunch of offensive talent, but doesn't have a high end compete level. Nylander, Gregorenko, Middlestad, even to a, a, to a lesser extent than those guys. So I think that Nazar checks a lot of boxes that they need there. He's undersized, but at the same time, again, you're going for a guy who is going to be a skilled center for you that should be a, a fixture in this top six for years to come. After him, I like Jonathan Lakramaki, who is a winger out of Sweden. Again, similar to Kemmel, you're taking a guy for their high-end offensive talent and their upside there, and the fact that they have a booming shot, which as we've seen from Victor Olofsson, having those kind of players on your team, it's invaluable to have that kind of high-end shooting talent. And that's not necessarily something that the Sabres have right now. You know, outside of Olofsson, thinking about some of their high-end guys, I mean, yeah, Tage obviously has a great shot. Tuck is more of a power forward style player. Skinner is really great in the tight areas around the net. Who else? Krebs is more of a, a pure playmaker. Middlestad is more of a playmaker. So anytime that you can instill some of that high-end, above-average shooting talent into the lineup and add a pure sniper into the mix, I think that that's something that you absolutely need to do. And then third on my list of guys who might be there is Cutter Gauthier. He has some flexibility between playing center and winger. I I think he's more naturally a winger, but again, you have that potential where you can play him at center if you need to. And it's not like he'd be going in blind if you drafted him thinking that he's going to be a center. So yeah, I think that those are three that I think at nine 
realistically will be there that I like, as I had said, that can absolutely change. And a lot of it's going to depend on who ends up sneaking up into the top eight and then who ends up ultimately becoming available because of that. Then moving down to 16, there's a few center prospects that I really like there. I don't know if he's going to be there necessarily. And I honestly was even low key thinking about putting him in the nine category too. So I'm going to call this guy and kind of like that bridge between he could be at nine. He could be at 16 if he ends up falling, but Marco Casper, who is a Swedish center, six foot one. And as I'm talking about guys who play with like a compete level and just like work their ass off out there and obviously have enough high-end talent that they're going to be getting talked about being picked in the first half of the first round. Marco Casper fits that bill. If he ends up being there at 16, I, this, and this is really the case with the other two guys. So I'm going to say it is a gift. Like it would be incredible if we're able to get a guy like Casper there. I think in a more realistic world, he probably ends up going in like the like 10 to 15 range. But again, if he is there at 16, go to the podium right away and don't even think twice about it and draft this dude. Another guy at 16 who I like, which again, this is a guy who I think is a fringe top 10 to 15 or like 10 to 15 range player is Brad Lambert. Uh, he coming into this season and really all throughout last season was thought to be a surefire lottery pick. Like he was going to be a top five pick. He was right up there with Shane Wright. I believe that probably about a year ago at this time, maybe a little bit before then, but most of the scouting rankings had him at number two, right behind Wright um, and up there with like Slavkovsky and, and Kemmel as well. Um, so Lambert is a guy that I think, you know, he's fallen off from being that like high end top prospect, but he brings something that the Sabres absolutely need and can use more of, which is speed down the middle. So I, I like him as a possibility there too, of just taking a flyer on a guy that, yeah, maybe he's fallen out of favor from what his draft position was a year ago at this time, but the raw talent is there. And I think that if you could get somebody with the, the skills that he has in the room, I would trust the Sabres to be able to, to really develop and cultivate that talent more. And then finally, taking it from a bit of an opposite approach away from the speed and looking at it from a size perspective is Connor Geeky. So his brother Morgan was actually selected in the draft last year. Connor, I believe, is six foot four, just a, a beast of a dude. Like he is a big, big boy. And we know that our Sabres love the big boys. Yeah. He's six foot four, 205 pounds. He has a lot of skill to his game. He's not the best skater admittedly, but I don't necessarily think in any way, shape or form that if he is available at 16, that that should keep them from wanting to take him I, again, like adding strength down the middle. I think 100% is something that the Sabres should be looking to do here because there are a lot of good center prospects, but there's also a lot of good wingers as well. So I think a lot of it's just going to come down to who's on the board at the given time at 16 for those three guys between Casper Lambert and geeky. If all three of them for whatever magical reason were on the board, I would probably go Casper, I think. And then at nine between Nazar, Lekarmaki and Gauthier, I would probably go Nazar first, Lekarmaki second, and then Gauthier third. And then, you know, obviously if Kemmel or Savoy is there, either one of those, I would be very, very happy with. So as I had mentioned too, with the Sabres then having their third pick, I do think that there could be the possibility for them to get a really good right-handed defenseman who kind of fits the bill for what they need in their system. And that is Ryan Chesley, who is also a member of the U.S. National Development Program. 
right-handed defenseman. He's projected to be there in the 20 range. So if Florida ends up losing in the first round and we end up having the 24th pick, he's a guy that I like that, again, if there's a possibility of him being there at 24, I think 100% that would be a slam dunk if you could walk away with him where you get two high-end talents at forward with your first two picks, then you walk away having a guy who could potentially end up being a partner for Owen Power, you know, a few years from now when he ends up being ready to break into the league. Assuming, of course, that, you know, your top pair ends up sticking with Samuelson in the, on the left and Darlene on the right. So there's one other name I wanted to mention too, and then I will wrap up as a wild card pick. And this is a, when we talk about fluid situations and draft position being a little bit all over the place, this guy is the epitome of that for unfortunate reasons, but that's Ivan Miro Shesnenko. So he is another guy that was originally thought to be a lottery pick, top five pick easily coming into the season. But unfortunately in January, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So otherwise this is a guy who would have been a clear top five pick in coming into this draft. Now, recently, and I think his most recent 32 thoughts, Elliot Friedman had said that teams have actually been meeting with him and that the overall prognosis for moving forward is actually pretty positive, the outlook. The main thing is going to be him getting back into game shape. But as far as we know, I'm pretty sure that he is in remission from that. And we'll see how much he ends up sliding. But I think that the Sabres are the perfect team to take a flyer on him if he somehow ends up falling to 24 and depending on what we end up finding out about his health even at 16 potentially because of the fact that you are going to have three first round draft picks I think that that right then and there is kind of the baseline for why this is a good idea because regardless you're not going to take him at nine but you're going to still be able to get a really good high-end talent with that first pick why not if you have the additional picks there whether 16 or 24 probably more likely 24 why not take a flyer on a guy that has the, the skill level that he otherwise would have been a top five pick? If you know that the prognosis is going to be good and that he is going to be able to play, I think that it makes a ton of sense because also on top of that for two things. One, he's been trying to get over to come to North America to play. There have been reports that he's wanted to do that. So it's not the, a scenario where you're going to have to be worrying like, oh my God, is this guy actually going to end up coming over? On top of that, as the Sabres had shown in last year's draft, they are now not afraid of taking Russians. They took Poltapov, who was a teammate of his on the Russian U18 team last year, Kisikov, Sardarian, and Novikov. So you took four Russians in last year's draft. That tells me that they wouldn't shy away from taking this guy if he ends up being on the board and it feels like he's really falling or if he's there at 24 for whatever reason. I, I just think it makes a ton of sense to take a flyer on him. I mean, he was the captain for Russia's 18U team when they won gold at the Holinka Gretzky tournament. It, it just, it, it feels like one of those scenarios where if, if the prognosis is good and the outlook is positive, this just it makes almost too much sense for them too because they have <clears throat> again the flexibility of having two other picks in the first round so he's just another name that's a, a bit of a wild card that I think would be good for for the Sabres and Sabres fans to to keep an eye out for we'll see what ends up happening and like I said this all could be changing a month from now you know we're two we're less than two months out from the draft a month from now this could be drastically different but early on those are guys at least that I'm thinking that realistically have a chance of being there who I think would fit the bill for what the Sabres need, not only on the roster in terms of how they could end up fitting long-term, but also what they need in the prospect pool as well and what they need in the system right now. 
So those are my guys. Keep an eye out for them. Take a look at them. Watch some of the tape on them. Go on YouTube and watch some of their stuff. If you could find any of their games, highly recommend checking uh, any of those guys out because I think the, what did I say here of those actual guys? Uh, the eight of them who I mentioned between nine and 16, some really, really talented players. So regardless, I think the Sabres are going to end up walking away with a couple of really, really, really solid additions to the prospect pool. And at nine, you could like you had said before, conceivably end up having a guy who is only a year away from being ready to be in the NHL. Of course. All right. So we're also going to talk about, <coughs> excuse me, the first round of the playoffs. And uh, before that, though, we're just going to hear a word from our sponsor, uh, DraftKings. Hockey fans, the pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the exciting, the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to, turn, looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get 100 in free bets no matter what. Ooh. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. Taylor, we have some breaking Sabres news that we could share. Oh, what is it? Speak of the devil, Alexander Kisikov signs his three-year entry-level contract. Oh, wow. So he'll be over in Rochester next year? That's assuming to be the case, yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Was he a second-round pick, right? He was, yes. Is he the one from the Hall trade? Let me see, actually. Uh, was he? <laughs> I mean, who was the first second-round pick? Him or Poltapov? I believe it was uh, Poltapov first. Yeah, he was 53rd overall for the Sabres last year. Sounds like it came over in the Hall trade. Sorry, good stuff. I'm going to go on the record right now and say he will score more goals as a saver than Taylor Hall. I like those odds. I like those odds. <laughs> all right. Good stuff. Glad to hear someone wants to be a saver. Um, all right. So the NHL first round, has this been a weird first round, Brendan? I say it has. I would also say it has Taylor. Here's my main thing. This part isn't that weird. Actually, neither of these things are that weird separate, but they're so weird together. So for starters, we're going to see a lot of game sixes. In fact, we're guaranteed to see at least six of them through the first four games of all the series. The, there was one four Oh, which was Colorado Nashville. Easy. That's the one I would have guessed if it was going to happen. There was one three, one, which was Pittsburgh and York. Uh, they're playing tonight. So they might be over by the time you hear this and the rest were two, two, uh, four of those were yesterday. All four games that were played on Tuesday we're played at 2-2 in terms of the series. Mm -hmm. So those are all 3-2 now. If all the teams that lost on Tuesday win on Thursday, we could have four game sevens on Saturday. And then we could still theoretically have three more on Sunday. Now, again, like I said, by the time you're hearing this on Thursday, it might be different. Wednesday's games haven't been played yet. But I can tell you this, if you're listening on Thursday, only one team could even possibly be eliminated, which is the Rangers. But if the Rangers win tonight, there'll be no eliminations. I mean that every game is going at least six. 
except for the Colorado Nashville one. I'd also just like to say too, uh, I am a noted Louis Domingue believer and called Pittsburgh beating the Rangers because I knew that Louis was going to have his uh, spicy pork and broccoli and was going to be able to <laughs> pull out the W against uh, this Rangers team. It is interesting that this Rangers team is losing because Sisterkin has been terrible. Well, there you go. See, outside I, of I game no one, he has been that, uh, not good. I had no doubt that the Rangers <laughs> were going down in this series. Yeah, two straight awful games from him. That's I'm honest. I am surprised, honestly. People would say, "Oh, maybe he's overworked because he carried the team all year." Not really. They were very responsible with him. They played uh, Gorgiev, Georgiev a lot, and that guy was not good. No. So interesting. Interesting to see that. Uh, we'll take him off your hands too, New York. If Shosturkin's just not doing it for you, it's okay. Huh. We'll, we'll take him. All right. So with all that, with me saying that right now, as it stands, one series is four zero, one is three one, uh, three or two two, and four or three two. Two, sorry, two or two two, mm-hmm. four or three two. You would expect there had been a lot of close games. There are always a lot of close games in the NHL playoffs. Most games in the NHL, even in the regular season, are decided by either one or two goals. Usually, even, it's one goal and an empty netter. So, a lot of that's really more or less one goal, depending on how you look at it. In the playoffs, that's even more so, because teams' uh, games tend to get tighter, lower scoring even in the regular season, and the teams are more closely matched. There's a lot of parity in the playoffs. So, you would expect most games are that. No. (laughs) So far, no. There's been 36 games played this playoffs, and only seven of them have been one-goal games, and only six have been two-goal games, which means that only 13 of the 36 have actually been close games. The most common goal differential in the game is four goals. Nine of the 36 games, 25% of them, have been decided by four goals. Jesus. In fact... There have been more games decided by five or six goals, six, than have been, or sorry, as many as there have been decided by two, which is also six. So another way to put this, nine games have been decided by four goals, eight games have been decided by three goals, seven by one goal, six by two, and also six by five or six. That's insane. Absolutely. almost... If you count a three-goal loss as a blowout, which they aren't always, yeah. sometimes it's a two-goal game with an empty netter. Right. Who knows? But if you count every three-goal game as a not-that-close game, then, like, almost two-thirds of these games, or more, sorry, more than two-thirds of these games are blowouts. That's wild. It is nuts. I mean, what, wasn't yesterday the first one in the, uh, the first game in the, Tampa Toronto series that wasn't decided by three or more, right? Yeah, that's weird. That's very weird. You also have LA and Edmonton is a three, two series. There have been two games decided by six goals and one by four goals. That's absurd. And the six goals were, they're not the same team. They were the opposite teams. It was a six, nothing game and an eight, two game. Wild. Insane, insane stuff. Who you got tonight? Well, I, yeah, let's so that people can see tomorrow uh, what our picks were. Who you got in tonight's games? Well, I made fun of the Rangers, so now I think they're going to win in force game six. Um, out west, we have Dallas and Calgary tonight, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say 
a close Calgary win. And then the third game is, is it Washington, Florida? Yes. Hmm. I say Florida is going to take a serious lead. I am very close to agreeing with you on all accounts. I think that Florida being at home, I think they'll pull it off. They'll end up taking the lead on the Capitals, but I would not be surprised if that goes to seven games. Uh, On top of that, I'm going to go Flames as well tonight. And so long, Rangers. You're done. Pittsburgh's ending it tonight. Wow. All right. I am hoping for four game sevens on Saturday. So Thursday night action, you know, pull through pull through for us fingers crossed folks fingers crossed all right well do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share taylor before we sign off for the day hmm well i should mention that uh buffalo icon died today or last night bob lanier Mm -hmm. uh right who for people who aren't you know are younger or not from buffalo or not basketball fans bob lanier uh is one of the best athletes that ever came out of buffalo he went to bennett high school in the city uh, he has the Michael Jordan thing where he didn't make the varsity team as a sophomore, mm-hmm. but he was a two-time uh, city of Buffalo champion when that was still how things were decided. And the all Western Europe player of the year, I believe when he was a senior and then went to St. Bonaventure and is easily the greatest Bonnie of all time, uh, even by his sophomore year. So back then you didn't play as a freshman uh, in the NCAA. I don't know why that was, but sophomore year, they made the sweet 16. And then they couldn't go to the tournament his junior year, but his senior year, uh, they famously, I'm sure many of you have heard this, they went to the final four. They're one of the best teams in the country all year. Uh, he got hurt in the regional final when they beat Villanova, so he didn't play in the final four. Uh, but he, so a lot of, they, they almost beat Jacksonville in that game anyway, and then they would have played UCLA in the final had they won. It was not one of the UCLA teams that gets remembered, but it was a champion nonetheless. Uh, no, no Walton, no Kareem. But, a lot of people think that Bonaventure could have won the national championship if he was still there. And there's a lot of evidence for that, for the fact that he was the national player of the year in the NCAA. And he was also the first overall pick in the, in the 1970 NBA draft. Uh, and then he was a hall of famer in the NBA too, like, which is a, another thing he kind of, he overcame his knee injury and in that he had a 17 year career. But a lot of people said that if it wasn't for his constant nagging knee injuries, he could have been even better. He played for them in Milwaukee, uh, Actually beat it very far in the playoffs against, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, 83 in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they were in the conference finals against Philadelphia. It was Bob Lanier, Sydney Moncrief team, someone else maybe, I'm not remembering. And they were like up in the series against like Dr. J and Moses Malone. That what couldn't have been 83 because that was a 4-4-4 year. Maybe it was 82 or 84. But anyway, they made it very far in the playoffs. I know they lost to Boston in the conference final, I'm pretty sure. And they had a great series against the Sixers in, I'm guessing, 1982. So like they were around, they, if anyone else in the eighties was ever going to make a finals besides the five teams that did, it could have been them. Uh, and then uh, a lot of stuff after retired. Well, first of all, he's the president of the players association at a pivotal time uh, for players rights. And then he also was uh, basically worked as an ambassador for the NBA, a global ambassador for the game of basketball, but also uh, was very big into humanitarian work in the inner city in America you know, he was, that was very important to him and uh, a great two things I read today that I did. Well, one thing I did know and I forgot and one I didn't know, he broke Bill, Bill Lambeer's nose, one of the biggest bills wow. in NBA history, clocked him and broke his nose, which back then was probably like a common foul. Um, and 
Also accused by Kareem of smoking cigs at halftime <laughs> of games, <laughs> which honestly would only make me like him more. But Reed. yeah, it's an interesting thing because he's there's no one really that was like a great athlete from Buffalo or Western New York that also played college in Western New York that was also a great pro. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very, very rare thing. It'd be oh. like if what if Gronk stayed for all four years of high school here and then also played for UB and was still as good as he was in the NBA or right. NFL, sorry, NFL. Um, so yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a sad thing. You know, very it's an interesting thing too. He was a, it's a real turning point that the tournament in 1970, because there's a time, you know, when Buffalo didn't have pro sports. I mean, in the 1950s, the little three basketball, Niagara, Canisius and Bonaventure was like as big as it got around here. And those were still huge in the, in the sixties. And obviously the bills come around and there's some, some momentum the bills get when they start to win, they went to AFL titles in the middle of the decade, but then they really fell off. Like the bills fell off a cliff and they were terrible in the late sixties. And the little three was still huge. And at the same time that we had Bob Lanier, Niagara had Calvin Murphy, also an NBA player, maybe also a hall of famer. I don't remember. Great, great player. Uh, and the Canisius was still competitive back then. At some point around then, they had Tony Masiello, who's I'm not even joking, a great college basketball player. And what? I'm not I'm not even joking. He was like a great, great college basketball player. Like former he's Buffalo couple, Mayor Masiello. Yeah, he's a couple years younger than those guys, I want to say. Oh, but I okay. think he played in the 70s. But they still had nights at the odd when they played each other twice a year. They played at the odd and it was still huge, sold out. Um, even when the Sabres and Braves moved here in 1970, uh the little three was still pretty big through the seventies. And then there was a big decline. Uh, Bonaventure had other good moments. They like, they made the tournament in the late seventies and they won the NIT in 77. But like there was after that, after the seventies, that was kind of the end of it. And the Braves had moved by that point too. But I think there is kind of interesting that it was like the last time a team advanced around here really was 1970. Mm-hmm. And, and that team actually had fans like a dedicated fan base around here, 1970. And then what six months later, seven months later, that's when the Sabres and the Braves debut. And then it's Buffalo is a pro sports town. Like three years later, you have OJ, you have the Sabres in the playoffs for the first time. Five years later in 1975, you have the MVP of the NBA. You have, I don't know if Perot was the MVP. I don't think he was actually, but you have a team that was in the Stanley cup final and you have um, the Bills had OJ basically, and you know the city falls in love with the Sabers. And by 1980, like the Sabers are in the conference finals against that great Islanders team, and the, the little three is not irrelevant by that point, but it's it has no juice. And throughout the 80s, that really falls off. Canisius really has had one meaningful season in like 1995 when Beeline was there. Since then, Niagara had some interesting seasons here and there. Bonaventure's obviously had some good seasons and UB really came on in the late 2010s, but like, there's never, it's completely not a little three slash big four town anymore. And I think that's, there's definite turning point. There is, is 70, which is unfortunate in a way because it's really the only chance we've ever had to win a, a big time college national championship in this area. It's never going to happen now. We're never, you know, UB football or Bonaventure basketball is not winning a national championship, but anyway, Bob Lanier, more than, more than just a great uh, athlete, even though he's on the short list around here. Great guy. Sad story. Very, very sad. But I just remembered, uh, got to give a shout out 
a remarkable story. 47-year-old Michael Bunting qualifying for a finalist as rookie of the year. An, an incredible story. That he actually went to um, high school who, with Tony Masiello. They're the same. I was age. gonna say he, <laughs> Michael Bunting, was playing high school hockey back in the seventies, and look at him now—the <laughs> finalist for Rookie of the Year. Good for him. All right, everybody. Well, this has been another episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both of the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever social media platforms you're using, and whatever streaming platform you are currently using to listen to this episode so that you can check out all of the incredible fellow shows that we have on both networks. On top of that, make sure you're following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Straight Up Sabres. And if you are able, make sure you're following us on whatever streaming platform you're currently listening to this episode on. Last but not least, as Taylor had mentioned before, use DraftKings and use the promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Savers. Straight up Sabres.